Well, hello, and uh, welcome to the Film Survivor Podcast. I'm your host, Tom Santilli. I'm the uh, national film critic for Access.com. I also appear on the television show, the hit television show, Critically Speaking, on Fox 2 in Detroit. That plays every Friday at 6.30 p.m. and Saturday mornings at 9.30. You can follow all my stuff at Tom Santilli. Go to my website, TomSantilli.com. Thank you for joining me, though, today. A uh, very special show. I'm really pumped about this one. I'm going to be talking to uh, a bigwig in the industry. We're going to be talking about all kinds of things regarding uh, movie theaters and the whole industry of the movie theater, all kinds of things in the news constantly about the theater experience. Uh, you know, is it going away? Are people going to stop going to the movies? Things like Netflix, the uprising of, of streaming content. Uh, all of these kinds of things uh, are always a hot topic in the industry. So who better to uh, to talk about these things than my guest today on the podcast, uh, Mr. Paul Glantz. Uh, Paul is, uh, of course, the founder and the chairman of Imagine Entertainment, uh, which you know basically all of the Imagine theaters uh, that are all throughout Michigan and, and the in the Midwest. Uh, he's also the CEO of Proctor Financial in Troy, Michigan. Uh, I'm reading this off of a, uh, a website here. It's Lawrence Technological University Leaders and Innovators. But I just wanted to give you a little bit of background on Paul before I chat with him. Uh, but this, according to this site, it says, uh, you know, of course, he is, like I mentioned, the CEO, founder of Imagine Entertainment and Proctor Financial. Imagine Theaters was recognized by the Detroit News as the best theaters in Michigan for three years now in a row. Uh, WDIV also voted Imagine as Detroit's best theater for two years in a row. Uh, in 2008, Corp Magazine honored Imagine as one of Michigan's economic bright spots. In 2010, Imagine was recognized by the Edward Lowe Foundation as one of Michigan's 50 companies to watch. And uh, Glance has kind of been on the cutting edge of things. Uh, in 2006, the f he was uh, the first in the nation to convert all of his 46 screens to high-definition digital. In 2011, Imagine deployed two of the world's first four 4K Texas Instrument Christie digital projectors at Imagine Royal Oak. And uh, I'm sure that's really exciting for those who know what that is. But basically, the, the gist of all of this is that he uh, he's basically been an innovator uh, in this field. And uh, lots going on with Paul. We're going to dive into it. In addition to that, though, Paul is also very... Uh, you know, he gives back to the community. He's very active on Twitter. He loves interacting with people. Uh, let me read you some of these things. Uh, let's see here. He is a volunteer. He volunteers. His volunteer efforts include serving as a director of Gleaners Community Food Bank in southeastern Michigan, a member of the Wayne State University Foundation, and chairman of the Foundation's Investment Committee Board, treasurer of the Detroit chapter of Variety International. Uh, his recognitions include the 2007 Presidential Citation Award of the Detroit Chapter of Variety International. Uh, he's a distinguished alumnus of WSU, that's Wayne State. And uh, D, Irvin D. Reed Honors College named him one of their first Pillar Awards recipients for distinguishing himself in his profession and in service to humanity. Ernst & Young named Glantz its 2011 Michigan and Northwest Ohio Entrepreneur of the Year in the category of consumer products and services. This is Mr. Paul Glantz. Without further ado, uh, let's get into this discussion. Here's my interview with Paul. Paul Glantz, thank you so much for, for joining me here on, on the Film Survivor Podcast. This is a real treat. 
Tom, it's my pleasure. Thanks for having me. <laughs> so, uh, you know, I'm, I have a lot to ask you. I have a lot of questions about, you know, just the current state of movie theaters and, and, and cineplexes and everything that you've done with Imagine um, here in, in Michigan and in the Midwest. But, um, you know, first, why don't you tell us a little bit? I'm, I'm curious, too, when I have, you know, you're obviously a very successful entrepreneur. I have, you on, I have you on the line here, so I'm very interested in hearing a little bit about you. How did you get to where you are today? What do you credit it to? And kind of what's your, you know, your nutshell uh, story? You know, uh, it was really a combination of uh, hard work, uh, luck, and if you talk to anyone who is successful and they claim there there was no element of luck whatsoever, I'll, I'll uh, tell you they're mistaken. <laughs> but in my case, uh, it was a story about a couple of young CPAs. I had a partner when I started out, and um, we were convinced we knew everything there was to know about business. Sure. There was only one problem. We didn't have two nickels to rub together. <laughs> and, uh, so we ended up buying our buying our way into the industry by purchasing a one-screen theater called the Clarkson Cinema back in 1989, and we financed the Clarkson Cinema by uh, borrowing $50,000 on our credit cards and $75,000 from the bank. Wow! And that's how we got into the industry. <laughs> Unbelievable. Uh, and and so now, how long have you been with Imagine as CEO? Uh, really, I'm one of the I'm the co- one of the co-founders, and so uh, it goes back to 1997. We opened our first new built theater up in Birch Run, Michigan. At the time, it was called Cinema Hollywood. Mm-hmm. Uh, last year, we we rebranded it as Imagine Birch Run after giving it a complete facelift. So uh, I've been involved with you know the business in a more substantive fashion uh, for about 20 years now. So the whole imagine, you know, uh, it seems like uh, obviously like they're, you're opening more and more locations and, and each one, you know, has kind of different um, elements to it. What uh, is, has, was this all part of the master plan? Has, has imagine uh, theaters, has it grown beyond what you ever thought it would? Is, it, is this on plan as to what you envisioned back then? Uh, where, where are you at as far as, as that goes? If um, there was no grand plan, let me uh, tell you that very plainly. And so it's evolved over time. And what it was originally was uh, what I would characterize as plan B. You know, the one screen theater wasn't exactly supporting two families. (laughs) Sure. (laughs) And uh, so I was working as the CFO of an insurance business called Proctor Financial Incorporated in Troy. Mm -hmm. And we had gone through uh, leverage buyouts to provide for succession of family ownership. And so we were very highly leveraged, very much in debt. And uh, I was the CFO of the business. I was looking at the numbers, and I've got to tell you, that combined with the young leadership team, of which I was a part, mm-hmm. uh, that didn't really know how to make money at the time, uh, I was fearful that we were going to crash land the plane. And by this time, I've got uh, two young children and a wife was no longer, longer working outside the home. Mm-hmm. And I decided that expanding in the movie industry was, was sort of my second way out, if you would. Mm-hmm. And Asked me back in 96 when we began construction of Cinema Hollywood, you know, what are the chances that, um, you know, you'll operate theaters that generate close to 60 million in revenue 20 years from now, and you'll still be connected to Proctor Financial? <laughs> I would have given probably zero odds. <laughs> that's but in it, fact, yeah. that's, what, that's what transpired. I am uh, both the uh, CEO of Imagine Entertainment as well as the uh, president of Proctor Financial Incorporated. And at Proctor, we uh, we employ about uh, 500 teammates. Wow. 
So th that brings me to my next question, though. So not only are you building movie theaters, but, you know, there is a lot of talk all the time about the, the whole movie industry and, and kind of where things are going. Uh, one of the biggest changes that I feel like you've kind of been an innovator with as well is how movie theaters have changed into more of a kind of a luxurious experience. You know, you got the reclining seats and, uh, you know, I know that you're starting to offer uh, at some of your theaters like the, the dine, the dine in, like you don't even leave the theater and you can get, you know, foods and snacks and things like that. Um, what, what led, I mean, ultimately I'm sure it's probably a financial situation, but like what led to this change of, of this more luxurious experience and how has that uh, kind of changed your game plan from the top down? Well, Tom, I would tell you that it's like every business. Uh, every business has to evolve and change to meet the expectations of the marketplace as they uh, evolve. And so we have, so it's not just financial, it's a matter of survival, in my opinion. Mm -hmm. If you go back and look at the history of the industry, you know, the industry has been alleged to be going away uh, several times, first with the advent of television, right. certainly with the advent of VHS tapes, then the DVDs, now once again with uh, Netflix and, and premium uh, pay-per-view. But I'll tell you this, it's about making it a, a contemporary out-of-home experience. And that's what we hope to be offering our guests every single day. Because the truth is that if we don't offer you a compelling value proposition, then you'll vote with your wallet and you'll stay at home. Mm -hmm. So it's no longer a circumstance where... You know, we've got the movie first, and we just hold it up and, you know, and force you to come sit in an uncomfortable chair with your <laughs> knees in your, your face. Right. We've got a great experience, and, and we recognize that and said, how do we remain relevant? How do we make sure that, you know, guests are actually seeing value in going out to the movies? And that's why you're right. We've innovated. We were the first in, the, in Michigan to offer all stadium seating in our venue, which was Cinema Hollywood going back to 97. Mm -hmm. We actually opened our Southfield, which, which gave us that moniker. And then we were the first in the world to do all digital projection. We, were, we converted all 46 screens going back 10 years ago. And, um, and so while we were not the first in terms of introducing the reclining chairs here in Metropolitan Detroit, we, uh, we saw what happened at Starge and R and immediately recognized that that's what folks wanted. Mm -hmm. And so we've seen the book in terms of, you know, conversion to reclining chairs, greater service elements, reserved seating, and so forth. So what's the uh... – I mean, because it is, it, it's a totally different experience uh, than it used to be, like you like you explained, you know, uh, even with the, the whole idea of being able to purchase your seats now in advance, um, you know, you can show up to the theater closer to the, the, the screening time, uh, you know where ex you're going to sit, you know, you could, you know, if you wanted to, you could buy it a week in advance and make sure you get your favorite seat, <laughs> you know, favorite angle in the theater. Uh, all of these things th that have kind of been changing uh, the movie-going experience, what... Uh, what kind of things are on the horizon? Would you say, like, what what are the what's the future of this? Is it going to just become more and more luxurious, uh, more ways? Like, what's the new cutting edge of of what people should expect in the movie theater uh, theater experience moving forward? Candidly, my crystal ball is a little cloudy, so I I don't have <laughs> that a vision for where the industry is going. But I can tell you this: uh, like all mature industries, and certainly you would characterize ours as a mature industry, they evolve into ever narrower niches. Mm -hmm. And and that's 
you know, you'd mentioned earlier the dine-in concept, mm-hmm. and that's a niche, the niche that's been ex- uh, exploited in other markets around the country. And so we brought it here, not because we think everyone's going to love it, mm-hmm. but there is a, a segment of our population of our moviegoers that would like this, the dine-in concept. And so we're going to offer our guests as many choices as possible. And so I'll give you a preview of what we're uh, thinking about doing in Royal Oak, for example. Okay. You know, we're testing the dining concept right now. Uh, the the reviews have been favorable. Okay. We are um, we've got a room upstairs currently named the Lo- which we're turning into a private screening room. And when I say a private screening room, it will hold somewhere between a dozen and thirty guests. Okay. And we're going to allow we're allow folks to essentially. Uh, rent that room and and host private parties there wow. on sort of a subscription basis. And what we'll do for you is we'll show you any film that is appearing in the theater that weekend, for example. So any film that we're showing, we'll show you on a private basis in that room. And then finally, and this one's a little more speculative, but I'm bullish on it. We're going to take the bar area that's currently uh, in Royal Oak, and we're going to uh, put three screens in that area showing the same film uh, synch- synchronized perfectly. All, so it'll all be showing the same film on all three screens. And we're going to call it Bar Scene Cinema. Hmm. And the premise would be that you could sit in a booth and dine and watch a film. You could stand at the bar and watch the film. I'm not going to ask you to turn off your cell phone. <laughs> and so we think that that will appeal to a segment of the market as well. So, I, I, well, I don't know exactly what the future holds for our industry. I think that offering guests more choices and how they would like to see a film uh, is a wise strategy for us. Yeah, that, that's uh, super cool. That actually reminds me, I think there was a place in Ferndale that used to do, or maybe they still do that brew and view, they call it, where they would play a, play a movie kind of in a bar setting. Um, and that was super fun. I, I think that there is definitely a good uh, amount of people that would, would find that uh, – you know, a cool thing to do. And it also isn't like it's a bar either. I mean, you're talking, this could be like a family film where you come in with your kids and, and dine, right. And watch a movie. Absolutely. It won't necessarily be adult films or, right. or film. But that's the fun of being an entrepreneur, Tom, you know, <laughs> I get to make decisions along with my leadership team. Uh, and we try stuff and, right. you know, candidly, not everything works. And so when it doesn't work, we uh, pick ourselves off, up, dust ourselves off, and we try something else. So that's uh, that's part of the fun of entrepreneurship. Yeah, no risk, no reward, right? Uh, if, if you could help me eliminate my risk, I would be grateful. <laughs> Well, speaking of that, like for example, you, and you, you know, you kind of brought that up, but um, you know, I know that there was something you guys tried at the Birmingham Theater where I, I think the the idea of it was was a good idea because you know it was about uh, the whole teenage thing uh, where um, you know a lot of people avoid the movie theater sometimes because of you know uh, inconsiderate people at, at the theater, people talking or they're on their cell phones and, and that sort of thing, and and you were uh, kind of trying to create more of an upscale experience at, at Birmingham. Uh, but then it kind of changed over time from the original idea, uh, right? It kind of, you guys kind of altered that into what it is now. Is there like, is it, are you still doing like the code of conduct thing? Well, the code of conduct is still important to us and we apply it throughout our, all of our venues, but, but we essentially, uh, 
had imposed a, uh, a requirement that, that parents accept responsibility for their children mm -hmm. in Vermont. Imagine that. We wanted, to be able to, you know, we wanted to be able to reach out and say to mom and dad, hey, you know, your, your daughter just doesn't know how to behave. We'd like you to, you know, keep her from coming from now on. And, and it, uh, it went over like a lead balloon. <laughs> but uh, you know what? We're, uh, we're patching up with the young people in that market. Uh, and uh, and so yes, we have, we've evolved our our membership concept, uh, but we still believe strongly in the code of conduct because we think it's important to to behave appropriately, to not disturb other moviegoers, uh, irrespective of the, the venue you're you're attending. Now you know as uh, things another change as time has gone along are are things you know there are many there are a lot uh, more kind of massive. Uh, chains you know you know like imagine or you know amc and things like this uh and there a lot of the smaller theaters kind of you know there aren't that many privately owned smaller movie theaters around uh, because of that is there do you feel any responsibility as far as um the content that you decide to show or the kinds of movies that you show uh you know like art house films like do those get you know play time in imagine theaters or how do you uh what kind of responsibility do you think in terms of um, the idea that you're kind of the gateway to a lot of the content that people are going to end up seeing at the theater. I would love to show art films. The truth is that uh, the distribution patterns for art, especially films, uh, effectively preclude us from accessing them because I'm a big big believer in, in market forces, Tom. I'd, I'd like to show everything that's available and then allow our guests to vote with their wallets. Sure. And you know, I would be I'd be delighted to set aside a you know an auditorium in some of our larger venues and just exclusively do specialty and small budget pictures and so forth. But candidly, um, I don't have the access to them that my friend John Goldstein does at the Maple. Okay. And that's just a, so, yeah, just it, a distribution thing. Yeah, and, and so it's a it's a unique world of uh, of distribution you know the distributors make decisions uh, in my opinion uh, the film distribution industry does not quite understand what goes on you know on the trenches as well as we do but they certainly believe they do and so as such they're uh, uh, inclined to uh, maintain their uh, traditional distribution patterns uh, which suggests that you know if you play mainstream films popular entertainment that you automatically exclude yourself from playing art films. Hmm, that's interesting. The, uh, the the other thing too, though, that it's a huge issue right now. Of course, people talk about. You mentioned earlier, you know, that this kind of has happened over time. You know, television comes out, and they talked about movie theaters going away. Uh, you know, every, at every new kind of technology, people talk about you know how movie theaters are going to be affected. The latest big thing is not just streaming content and things like Netflix, but also these other concepts that have been put uh, pitched around like you know the, the screening room uh which is would be like a home you know a box that people pay fifty dollars and they'd be able to get a movie like the same day that it's in theaters uh what what do you think of that kind of technology um and kind of the, the shrinking window uh that a film you know might end up having in the in the local theater you know i think that most filmmakers intend for their product to be shown on the big screen. Sure. I would actually even like to go the other way and show more of the stuff that uh, is available on Netflix 
in say our venues mm -hmm. because I think that uh, there there's a substantial component of the marketplace that values the uh, out of home in theater experience. Uh, but um, you know, speaking of the screening room in particular, I'm uh, not necessarily fearful of them, particularly the model that says that they access the film uh, say three weeks after it opens mm -hmm. at $30. But, you know, the what I would call simultaneous release for home and, uh, and in theater, in my opinion, is, is not a good model. And candidly, it, there's, there's, there is some parochial interest there. I'm not trying to uh, force folks to, to come out of their home to see a film, but I don't think that the studios quite know what the ramifications of pay uh, and date release might represent. Mm -hmm. And so I thought... Uh, I'm uh, not opposed to screening room. I just think that they've got two pot potential models, and I favor the second one much, much over the uh, the first. I uh, I know that you're also uh, you're I, I I admire you in another way because not only are you you know CEO of these companies, but I noticed too that you really like um you're really kind of uh you know, ground level, you, you very, you very much like to interact with uh, people and kind of get uh, people's uh, takes on things. And I notice that you're very active and uh, interactive on Twitter. Uh, what, what's that, um, what's that like? And, and is, you know, is that just a conscious choice? Is that how you are as a person? You just kind of like, you know, um, kind of keeping grounded with all these kind of people or like, what, what is it about that, that, uh, that makes you like that? <laughs> Well I, well, I learned that from our president, Tom. Okay. Just kidding. Uh, <laughs> the, uh, you know, I made a decision about four years ago now to try to personalize the business of Imagine. And the premise behind it was quite simple. I had grown up in an era when there were, there were human faces and voices behind many successful businesses here in Michigan. Sure. You know, I recall a guy. I recall a, a gentleman by the name of Ali Freder who owned a chain of appliance stores, and I remember Mr. Belvedere, and mm -hmm. you know, and Bobson Construction, and, and uh, think of even today, family heating and cooling. You know, the owners are the spokesmen for their businesses, and I wanted to put my face out there to personalize Imagine, on the premise that perhaps folks would draw the conclusion, you know, he seems like a pretty decent guy. Uh, at the margin, we'll uh, we'll take a look at Imagine before we'll consider one of their competitors, because if you think about my business, it's we're selling a generic product. Just like if you go to a mall, mm -hmm. there are four stores, mm -hmm. four stores selling the same sneakers. We're in sort of the same space that, you know, you can go see our a film at Imagine that's also showing at one of four or five other uh, competing chains. So the decision was to. <clears throat> personalize the business to try to put a face to the business so that folks would know it's a locally owned business, a local entrepreneur. And I think that when you do that, you've got to accept what I, what I would characterize the good with the bad. Sure. And, and there's no bad to it per se, but I genuinely care about our guest experience. I mean, I want every single one of our guests to feel like they've been treated well and, and I think the vast, vast majority of our guests do, but when we foul it off, when we mess it up, you know, I read about it on Twitter or Facebook, and then it's incumbent upon me to make it right. Mm -hmm. And so I, I do, so I do take this all very personally. There's no question about it because, again, you know, I think that 
uh, relationships are important in life and in business. I genuinely care about the guest experience. Um, I know that I'm not, I'm far from perfect. My teammates make mistakes in terms of execution, but when we do, again, or when I do, it's my responsibility to, to make it right. And I would also tell you, for example, that, you know, let's say you have a bad experience at one of our venues. At the end of the day, Tom, the fish rots from the head down. Mm -hmm. That means that it's, it's my responsibility. It's not the person who made the mistake. It's my fault for putting the wrong person in that seat on the bus. And so, yes, I'm, uh, I'm connected on social media. I'm approachable. I'm happy to talk to our guests in person uh, through social media because I genuinely care about each and every guest experience. Well, you're only like our president in that you like social media, but it sounds like in no other way <laughs> are you like him. <laughs> um, what, uh, what are some of the biggest challenges that you see uh, that you deal with on a day-to-day -day basis, you know, or, or just facing uh, imagined theaters in the future? What are some of the biggest challenges that you kind of uh, deal with? You know, it's always uh, people. It's always um, finding the right teammates sure. to serve up, to serve our guests, because you're essentially trying to identify key leaders that have empathy for the guest experience and who are, are sharp and quick thinkers who can think on their feet. And so the constraint to any business and its growth is ultimately uh, the ability to attract leaders and to, and to train and to um, enhance their skills over time because, you know, I've got some good banking relationships. I've got loyal investors who have committed capital to our business. Uh, but my job, again, is to, is to ensure, and our success is predicated on ensuring a great guest experience. So it's, uh, it's always about the people. And, and so I'm uh, constantly in, involved in trying to enhance the skills of our leaders to uh, ensure that our guests enjoy the experience we're aspiring to provide. I got to ask you this too, while I have you on, uh, I have to ask you this, but you know, a, a thing that people, I tell people all the time, uh, people always talk about how expensive, uh, you know, candy and concessions and stuff are at movie theaters. And I always tell people to make sure that you buy stuff there, regardless of the price, because in a way you're, 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 uh, helping support the theater because that's a lot of where, you know, the theaters get their revenue and stuff like that. Am I, am I wrong in this? Why are, what can you tell people about why, a bottle of water at a movie theater is four dollars versus you know you get it on 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 the at a Seven Eleven for a dollar. You're spot on in terms of the economic model. the uh, The film royalties generally run about on average sixty percent these days. So if you buy a ten dollar movie ticket, six dollars of it's going to the studio, and um, and so we don't object to that. But here's the premise. Uh, if you look at all of the fixed costs and the, of operating the business and think about just, for example, the occupancy expense, uh, you know, whether it be your mortgage payment, whether, whether it be rent. I can tell you, for example, that I've got in, uh, in Royal Oak $1,000 a day in property taxes. Mm. 
Wow. Wow. <laughs> most folks, most folks wouldn't most folks wouldn't necessarily know that uh, in Kent Township, it's, it's roughly that as well. And so uh, I've got uh, property taxes, a mortgage payment. I've got uh, managerial labor. I've got utilities. All these fixed costs are, are quite extraordinary, really, relative to the income stream. And but for the privilege, and I generally, genuinely mean this, the privilege of offering our guests food and beverage on which we can earn a margin, mm-hmm. there would not be a viable there would not be a viable business model. Sure. And so, and so for those who, you know, uh, think they're going to uh, sneak the coke in in their purse or or some candy in and so forth, you know. We ask them not to do that because I certainly am not in the you know in a position to compel people to buy snacks, but I but there's believe it or not, there's actually a law that goes back to the 1800s called depriving an innkeeper, and back then, it, a, the law was established because for those who were serving uh, spirits, it was perceived that you were were basically cheating the owner if you brought in your own be- uh, beverages. Sure. And uh, and that that law is still in the books. I haven't asked any police uh, to enforce it in our theater, but uh, but it's more than it's more than a uh, um, than just bad taste, in my opinion, sure. to sneak uh, food and beverage into a movie theater. Again, I'm not going to compel you to buy it, but again, if we didn't have the privilege of offering those products, uh, we'd be out of business. Absolutely. Well. Um... Paul, you know this was fantastic, uh, really, to get kind of a, a touch of all the all these topics and to hear it from you, uh, who who's so in, you know close to the, the, this and who is on, again the cutting edge of things. Uh, I, I'll leave you with this. So uh, another question, I just I love to ask entrepreneurs just for my own sake. Uh, but uh, how do how does Paul Glantz uh, define success? Well, all success is born out of serving your customer, and so my that when you put the interests of others ahead of your own, inevitably both parties are going to be very successful. And that's what I'm always striving to do, both in my insurance business as well as at Proctor. I want to ensure that, that we have raving fans of our businesses. And if, if, our, if, our, if our guests and or our clients are satisfied with our service, uh, then uh, inevitably we will continue to be successful. Fantastic. Uh, anything else that you want to tell people about Imagine Theaters uh, before before I let you go here? No. If, if folks are going to be listening in the near term, come on down to Imagine Canton and watch uh, the uh, the premiere of Detroit, the film. Yes. It's, uh, I saw it the other saw it last night. It was terrific, and um, we're, uh, we're 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 very fortunate, Tom. I told you there's now a luck in business, mm-hmm. and I certainly mm-hmm. have been lucky in my life. I've been blessed with with you know the uh, the privilege to be participate in the world realm of commerce and to have good health and a nice family so you know i'm kind of the luckiest guy on earth <laughs> well man uh, it's again it's great I, I really appreciate everything uh it's fantastic having you on the on the podcast uh why don't you tell people too where they can find you if, if they wanted to uh check out uh, stuff about imagine theaters or even uh follow you on twitter and that sort of thing yeah i'm i'm at paul glance Okay. on Twitter. <clears throat> and, um, you know, it's www.imagine with an E, E-M-A-G-I-N-E hyphen entertainment.com. Uh, if you do a, a Google search on just imagine, it comes up pretty high in the search results. And, uh, and I got a Facebook page too. 
so uh, I, I don't know what that is, but I think I'm fine. First ball glass, you'll find me. I can't hide. <laughs> That's for sure. Too. That's for sure. All right. Well, thank you very much, sir. Uh, we'll we'll talk to you soon, and we'll see you at the movies. Thanks, Tom. It's been a pleasure. All right. So that was Paul Glantz, uh, CEO of Imagine Entertainment. Very cool to talk to him. Uh, briefly, he gave me a good 30 minutes of his time, and, and I definitely appreciate it. Uh, I do have something, though, to announce here as well, is uh, to kind of promote uh, this podcast in Imagine Theaters. Uh, I talked to Paul about giving away a, a, a couple free movie passes to some people. Uh, so here's how you do that. I'm going to be tweeting this out today uh, from my Twitter account. It's at Tom Santilli. I want you to follow me on Twitter. Uh, so first follow me. And then uh, I'm going to post the podcast today. If you retweet the podcast, that's all you got to do is just retweet it to your followers. Uh, you will be entered into a raffle where you might be able to win uh, some free tickets uh, and some other things from Imagine Entertainment. So I appreciate uh, Paul Glantz for doing that. That He did not have to do that. That was very cool of him. And so, uh, yeah, so follow me on Twitter, retweet the podcast, get entered in, and maybe you can win some free tickets to Imagine Theater. So thank you again for uh, listening to this uh, edition of the podcast. Next week, we're going to be talking all about the film Detroit. Uh, It opens this coming week, and uh, next week's podcast, we're going to delve into that and uh, go from there. We're also, uh, the week after that, I have a special interview lined up uh, with the director of a documentary called Step. Her name's Amanda Lippitz. She's going to be joining me to talk about that film, a fascinating documentary that you'll probably be hearing a lot about. That opens August 11th. Uh, And then we're getting closer and closer to Survivor uh, the next season. So we'll be, of course, covering Survivor for those that like Survivor. We'll continue covering movie stuff for those who like movies. And if you're like me, you like both of those things. And then this is the perfect podcast for you. So, again, my name is Tom Santilli. Follow me at Tom Santilli on Twitter. I'm the national film critic for Access.com, and please watch me on Critically Speaking on Fox 2 every Friday at 6.30 and also on Saturday mornings at 9.30. Uh, This week on the show, we'll be talking about Detroit as well as the new Charlize Theron movie, uh, Atomic Blonde. So check that out. Thank you, everybody, for joining me. We will talk to you next week.